Good morning. Uh, welcome to Waters Church. So glad that you are here with us in the North Attleboro campus. My name is Tim, and I'm the campus pastor here in North Attleboro. We're going to get right back into our Make War series. Talked about this about three weeks ago. We've got a few more weeks left. Talked about the fact that we're in a battle. We are in a battle every day of our lives, and the battle may have some lulls, but it never stops. And we, all talked, we named this series Make War because I said in the first week that you cannot wait for the devil and the enemy of your soul to come after you. You have to preemptively prepare yourself to make sure you are standing your ground in the spiritual fight for your life. So if you have a Bible or smartphone Bible, let's go in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at the armor of God. The armor of God. We call this message over armor. Over armor. <laughs> and now, how many of you, you like some under, under armor stuff? That's, that's a cool brand. I love under armor. But what I loved about under armor was a few years ago, they had some classic commercials. And they had this guy who would run into the, into the locker room of the home team and he would fire up the team and get them all engaged into the fight that they were about to partake in against their opponent. And he would say a famous line with all the gusto of an NFL football player. And he walked in that, that, that locker room and he would say the famous line. Everybody, if you can fin finish it with me, finish it. He would say, we must protect. This, that was lame. That was pathetic. Okay, I, I want you to give me a we must protect this house the way that it was in the commercial because it was heartfelt. It was from here, deep and guttural. Okay, can we all do that? And by guttural, I mean that spittle should hit the person in front of you when you say it. So on, on three, give me uh, it's second service sunday the sun is out it's a good weekend i'm live and i'm a, and i'm awake and i'm ready to go and hear the word give me a big one uh we must protect this house all together one two three all right that's good that's real good and <laughs> it's very appropriate for the message because the bible calls our bodies the temple of the holy spirit the house of the Holy Spirit. God does not dwell in this building. He dwells in these buildings. And when we come to Christ, God has deposited in our hearts and our lives amazing promises. No matter what we've done, no matter where we come from, that God has sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, his son, and that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been given peace with God. We've been given righteousness and just, justified freely through him. But we must protect this house. We got to be ready because the enemy wants to steal your joy, your righteousness, the, the, the sense that you are okay with God wants to cause friction with you and your loved ones, wants to rob you of your contentment, make you feel jealous, envious, bitter, wants to mix it up with some secret sins and, and just totally wreck your life. He, he's a thief. He's a roaring lion seeking, the Bible says, somebody to devour. The devil does not want to nibble you. 
He wants to devour you. We must protect this house. Ephesians chapter 6, that's what, that's what Paul's going to say. And you have notes, by the way, that, that have blanks for all six parts of the armor of God. I want to just make sure you know, we're only going to go through the first three today. So the first three, we're going to fill in the blanks. Then you can bring those notes back next week, which I'm sure you all do. <laughs> and we'll go through the rest. <laughs> but let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, here's what it says. I got to get there. We must protect this house. Amen, somebody. Amen. All right, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, not on the screen. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He's just listing the armor now. And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all uh, the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador, notice, in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in these next moments. Glorified in renewing our minds. Glorified in transforming our hearts. Glorified in refocusing our lives. So that we might bring honor to you by obedience, by listening and doing what your word tells us to do. I ask that every heart in this place leaves here changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul has just told us in that passage that he's in chains. He's in a Roman prison and he's chained to a Roman centurion. He's chained to this decked out soldier for the Roman army. He's writing to the Ephesians and he's trying to encourage them on how to prepare for this battle. How are we going to fight this fight? Because we're in a battle that's more important than the Roman army ever was in. We're in a battle for truth. We're in a battle for the, the, the righteousness, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And, and he turns, I imagine him writing, he turns to the soldier and it just dawns on him. He's just like, that's it. We got to put on the armor. Just like the soldier has to be ready for battle, we got to put on the spiritual armor to be ready for our battle. And the Roman army was a very successful army. They conquered the whole world. So I imagine Paul saying, they're that successful physically. We could be that successful spiritually if we take the same pieces of armor and we appropriate them to our lives in Christ. And every part of the armor on that soldier, he uses as an illustration for us. And if you think about and you research how the Roman army officer uh, guarded himself or, or adorned himself with armor, you can make some parallels for the spiritual armor of God. 
And that's what we're going to do. And I also want to draw your attention to the verses that we just read. Please hear me. There's a lot of activity that God wants us to be a part of in these verses. In other words, it's not just believe in Jesus and everything's going to be okay. No, actually what happens is you put your faith in Jesus and all hell breaks loose. You're going to see this happen in your life. You're going to see this on a regular basis. The more that you try to do what Jesus wants you to do, hear me, the more your enemy is going to attack you. Do you ever realize that the demons never got so upset when Jesus walked the earth as when Jesus is actually there? That every time he walked up to somebody that was demon-possessed, the Bible said that the person would freak out and the demon would try real quickly to do something. Why? Because Jesus was the epitome of the word of God in flesh. He was word of God in flesh, but he was the epitome of obedience, the epitome of righteousness, the epitome of exactly what God wants from human beings. And the devil hates that. So the more you try to obey, the harder it's going to get for you. Some people think, oh, I just got to obey God and things will get easier. No, they're going to get harder. You start making right decisions. You start doing the things that God wants you to do. We had people recently, they, they were living together. They knew that they should get married, and so they got married, and now they're saying, it's harder now. What's going on? The enemy is coming after you because you just did what God wanted you to do, and he wants to convince you you took a wrong turn ultimately to destroy your life. So you've got to be prepared for the battle, but there's activity here. Look at the active words. Stand, fasten, put on. He says put on twice. He says take up twice. These are active words. Take up, put on, extinguish, take the helmet, pray all the time for all the saints in all prayers and supplications. I mean, these are active words. You got to activate some things. You got to do some things. You can't just believe. Yes, believe, but in believing, prepare yourself. We must, what? That was equally lame as the first time. <laughs> we must. All right, so the first piece of armor he lists is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, now, Pastor Justin did a great job last week bringing us a message on the truth of God. I appreciate that message. You can watch that on our website if you missed it last week. It was great. And one of the things that he said about the belt of the Roman soldier, absolutely true, is that the belt of the Roman soldier held all the other pieces of armor in place. So your breastplate was held by the belt and your um, shield was connected to the belt and all, everything was held together your, your, your pants your legs every, everything came together through the belt of truth and so here's what i say and, and he said it last week and i want to just reiterate it that your life is going to be held together by the truth of god's word it's not just something that you uh creedily adhere to. It's what holds you together when the enemy comes in like a flood. When the enemy comes after you, it's going to be the truth of God, the truth of not just any religion, friend, 
not just any commentator on TV, not just somebody with a talk show, not just somebody with a PhD. It's got to be the truth that has been delivered for the ages, the truth of God found in God's word. And you got to resolve your mind. You have to resolve your mind that there is no truth outside of God's truth. And all truth is God's truth. Because truth will get you where you want to go. Uh, let me do an experiment. Let's all do an experiment together to, to kind of illustrate the kind of generation that we're living in when it comes to truth. Because many people have a different idea of what truth is. Let's all stand together. You got to participate. Now, everybody stand if, if you can stand. And close your eyes. And bow your head. No, I'm just kidding about that. Just keep your head up. <laughs> close your eyes. Everybody's got to have your eyes closed. It will not work if you cheat. I want everybody's eyes closed. I want you to point in the direction that you believe north is in. Hold it nice and straight, straight out somewhere. All right, no, nobody being super spiritual now pointing up. Okay, I get it. Yes, God is true. All right, just point where you think north is. Just point in the direction. You actually believe this. All right, keep your hand in place. And open your eyes and look around. <laughs> you people are messed up. <laughs> you need some help. North is that way. <laughs> All right, you can sit down. You can sit down. North. North is that way. Listen. It doesn't matter what you thought North was. Everybody in this room had an idea what North was. Some of you were right, but most of you were wrong. And I was right. I am right, because I looked it up on my iPad compass right before. <laughs> Listen, it does not matter what you feel north is are you tracking with that but i but i feel like it's the right thing to do but does god tell you according to his word that is the right thing to do no but somebody on tv said so that doesn't matter the same god who made north made truth and what he says is true is true no matter how the world tries to repaint it, no matter how people try to attack it, and no matter what your feelings tell you is true. There's only one truth, and it is God's truth revealed in the Word. But I feel, I feel like he's the one. He's the one. I just, I know he's the, he's the one. Is he saved? No, but he could be. I feel it. If I just, if I just love him harder, he'll come to Jesus. No. That's not true. Do you understand? Oh, what I'm saying is, is that you've got to live your life with your compass straightened out. Because some of you are living, listen, even if you're just a little bit off. Just a little bit off. You gotta constantly have God reorient 
north for you. That's what you're doing here today. In here today, you're getting truth. You're getting something that the world does not give you. You're getting reoriented. By the way, I get reoriented every time I prepare a message. You'll be surprised at the number of times that I'm, I'm preparing a message and I'm like, Lord, this might not apply to anybody else this week, but it helped me. Because I need to be reoriented by the word of God every single day of my life. What are you doing to keep your compass straight? Are you getting into the Bible? Are you opening up the pages of scripture and listening to God speak straight to you? I had a guy here last night. He asked me after the service, he said, Pastor, every time you preach, I get so much out of it. You make it come alive. I said, oh, thank you for that. I said, do you read the Bible on your own? He said, no, I don't. I said, well, why not? He said, because when I read it, it doesn't come alive like it does here on Sunday. And it was almost like, it was like a mentality that a lot of people have. I'd rather not be bored with the Bible during the week. I'd just rather let you do the work for me on Sunday. And here's what I said to him. I want you to hear me. I said, now, if you have a job and they ask you to review a manual before a big meeting, and you ignore the manual all week and you show up in the meeting, there's a chance that you'll get something out of the meeting. But how much more would you get out of the meeting if you reviewed the material before you showed up for the meeting? And the eyes just opened up. He's like, you're right. I said, I know it's not easy when you're doing it alone, but let me just assure you that the experience that you're having right now when you come to church on Sunday and you hear the word of God preach, if you were to open the Bible and feed yourself all week long, even if it doesn't make sense in some places for you, that when you come here, the amount that you receive back from the preaching of the word of God will be exponentially more and your life will be more grounded and held together by the belt of truth. That's why, that's why I encourage you, I encourage you, get a Bible that you can understand. You don't have to go Old King James on us. I don't even read from the Old King James. We're going to do it today, but, but, but we don't do that here. We want you to understand the Bible. Uh, my wife, she loves the message version, and, and she'll read that all the time. It is a great version. It's, it's not word for word. You got to know that. It's thought for thought. In other words, it's a translation of what Eugene Peterson believes is the intention of the scriptures, but it's reliable for the most part, and it's hearable, it's enjoyable, and I highly, highly encourage, I can't stress this enough, get yourself oriented to the truth of God's word. It will help you, it will empower you. Uh, the thing about the Roman soldier's belt too that I learned is that the belt was where he held his money. The belt was where he held his money. They didn't have pockets in the ancient world. They had bags, and they would, they would sling the bag over their belt. And the Lord said to me, the Lord spoke to me. He said, this is what you need to hear. You need to do money according to the truth of God's word. Because here's what's happening to many Christians. You're not managing what God gives you according to how God says to manage it. And the Bible has a ton of things to say about money. A ton of things to say. And let's just clear something up real quick, okay? The only, the, the Bible doesn't just say about money, well, give it all away. That's not what the Bible says, only, okay? It doesn't even say that to anybody except one guy, he wasn't willing to do it, it was just exposing his heart. But the Bible does not sum up how we're supposed to handle money with, make sure you give 10% to the church and then give as much as you can away to everybody else. That's, that's not the, the uh, spectrum of God's truth regarding money. The book of Proverbs 
is a great example. It has so many passages about money. It says things like, and it's a great passage, it says things like this, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the Visa card. The borrower is slave to the car loan. The borrower is slave to the 12 months, no payments, no interest, but when it comes 12 months, we're gonna jack you big time. <laughs> borrower. And you gotta stop doing stupid things with your money. Because believe it or not, God wants you to prosper. He wants you to have plenty. He wants you to be blessed so that you can be givers and generous, but you can't be givers when you're constantly taking out loans for crap you don't need. Stop the madness. You have a car that gets you from A to B. You don't need a fancier car that you can't afford to get from A to B. I showed you my car a couple of months ago on the screen. I love my car. I'm proud of my car. My car has dents. My car is run down. My car has a funny smell but my car is paid for. And Cheryl's car is paid for. We have no car payments. Do you know what that does for us? It gives us peace, peace. I don't have to pay somebody else to drive my car. It's so wonderful. And, 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 and I thought about that some of you, you have no peace because you're constantly stressed out about money. You have no joy because you're working all the time because you never can make enough money to make the payments to the stuff you're borrowing on. The borrower is slave to the lender. The Bible also says this about money. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, and look at what he does. Though he is small and of no account, the book of Proverbs says, that he stores up food in the summer so that he has plenty in the winter. First off, I love when the Bible insults us. <laughs> it calls us sluggards. And it says, look at the ant. The, the ant is smart enough to know you got to have an emergency fund. you got to have a fund so that when winter comes, you're ready for it. Let me ask you, this is, this is what the belt of truth is all about, right? If you're filling in the blanks on your, on your notes, the belt of truth is about readiness. It's about being ready. Are you ready for the next financial winter of your life? Let me ask this question. Are you ready when the market tanks again? Well, it's not gonna take. It will, it will, it always does. And let me just be very politically correct for you. It doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or a Republican in the White House. The market historically does this cycle of growth, then inflation, and then tanking. And then recalibration, everybody's trying to get back together again, and then they come out of it, and then they grow, inflation, and tanking. Again, that's how it works. I've been around enough to understand that this is how our economy goes. Every 10 to 13 years or so, we all freak out because everything falls apart financially. And do you know who the people are that don't freak out? The ones who acted like ants during the good years and said, I'm going to save some money. I'm going to put some money away because I know that though it's good right now, it's not always going to be good. And, and here's, here's a great, simple truth from the scriptures. Don't spend more 
than you make. <laughs> it's like, it's simple. Whatever you make, that's what you spend. The Bible says that a fool spends whatever he gets. So are you saving money so that you can have peace and ready when the stock market crashes and your house goes upside down again and you're underwater and you're struggling and you're freaking out? You have to be ready. And I guarantee you that if you get into this word, especially the book of Proverbs when it comes to money, and you start doing the truth that God wants you to do with your money, you will be ready. You will be ready. You will be armed and able to stand through the winter seasons of your financial life. Sound like a good idea? Amen, somebody? It's about being ready. The second thing that I looked, about, looked at when it came to the, the uh, belt of truth was I went to the old King James Version. And sometimes the old King James says a verse of scripture just a little bit funny. But it said it funny in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. I want to read it for you from the King James Version. The ESV says, fasten the belt of truth around your waist. The King James says, having your loins girt about with truth. And when you read the King James, you have to say it like that. I want to read it again. Having your loins girt about with truth. Does anybody know where their loins are? <laughs> I want to say this as sensitively as I can, as G-rated as possible. But I thought about how the Bible's saying to us, make sure you, you protect your private parts <laughs> with God's truth. Because nothing will destroy your life faster than sexual immorality. Nothing. In book of Proverbs, it says, whoever commits adultery destroys himself. Do not think you are above the law here. Do not think that you're going to get away with it. You're going to be the only one that gets away with it. You are a fool. Take the warnings of Scripture and understand that God has this clear outline. It's so simple when it comes to sex, but it's so hard for so many people to get it straight. It's so simple. A man and a woman in marriage forever. And you get that right, and then you two, like a couple of bunnies, you just go for it <laughs> and enjoy it for the rest of your life. Are you guarding your private parts. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. Because you'll destroy you. Your father doesn't want you destroyed. He wants it to go well with you. Amen, somebody? So, so you're ready. You're ready when the temptation comes sexually. That's not right. That's a lie. That's a lie. Here's what the truth says. And I know if I do that, I'll be ready for the enemy attacking me. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is uh, all over the Bible. And there are several Greek and Hebrew words that translate into the word righteousness for us in the English. 
The one that is used in Ephesians chapter 6 is very interesting because the definition I looked up, very good definition. I want you to hear it. Righteousness means to have, to have passed inspection in the eyes of a significant other. Righteousness is passing the inspection of a significant other. To be presentable before a significant other. This is, this is one of the translate, this is one of the Bible dictionaries that I read gave me that definition for righteousness according to the Bible. I thought, how appropriate is this? Because when it comes to righteousness, that's basically what everybody is trying to do. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody here and everybody in our world is trying to pass inspection for somebody else, right? Everybody here is trying to be presentable for someone else. Like, there's a chance that this is your first time here at Waters Church, North Attleboro. Welcome to you. But you were probably maybe in your, on your way here in the car, and it came across your mind. You said to yourself, I'm going to church. I'm a little underdressed. And then you walked in and you saw the pastor and you were like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> but you, you were thinking about, am I presentable? Because we're casual here. Ladies, you spend hours in front of that mirror. And some of you, I feel bad, you feel the magnifying mirror with the big light bulb around it. I don't know what that's all. That's like the son of Satan right there because it shows all <laughs> your nasties. And you're just like caking it up and doing all this stuff. And, and by the way, we just want to say thank you for that. That's good. Keep doing it. But you, wh why do you do it? You do it so that you can be presentable. You can pass inspection in the eyes of another. Everybody on the face of the earth is trying to pass somebody's inspection. Let me illustrate it for you. From my, from my life, uh, about 10 years ago, I was the youth pastor up in the Norwood campus. And Pastor Geyser asked me to preach on a Sunday morning. I prepared all week long. I wanted it to be really good. I prepared and I prayed and I prepared and I prayed. I got up there and I preached and I don't want to brag. But it was probably the best sermon ever. In my humble opinion. <laughs> I'm just kidding with y'all. But I got up there, I preached my heart out, and I got down, and I'm like, that was good. If I wasn't saved, I would have gotten saved because of that message. <laughs> I put my chest out, and I walked around like I was the cat's meow. And then it came around to me through the grapevine that somebody in the church had the audacity to say, that I touched my nose too much when I preached. <laughs> now, do you know, by the way, the Bible says pride comes before a fall. That's exactly what happened to me. Uh, um, do you know what happened to me from that moment forward? Every time I got up to preach, what I would do was I would get up behind that pulpit and I would hold on for dear life and I didn't care if the message was good, bad, or indifferent. I didn't care if I was helping anybody. I didn't even care if it was right. I was just thinking the whole time, don't touch your nose, whatever you do. Hold on with a death grip, you know? 
what was I trying to do? I was trying to pass that guy's inspection. I'm so glad that the Lord has delivered me from having to touch my nose. <laughs> I don't think I do it anymore. I asked the first service, they said no. I'm not gonna ask you, their testimony is enough. But it was about passing an inspection. Now, let me tell you about America. Americans are trying to pass an inspection. Every American is. Do you know the number one religion in this country? Please do not say Christian. <laughs> there's no way, there's no way you can say that we are a Christian country anymore. The number one religion in America is the I'm a good person religion. It's pervasive. Because if you ask the average person in America, are you going to heaven? They will tell you, yeah, I'm a good person. I do enough good to pass the test. Now the problem with that test is that it's self-administered. In other words, you give yourself the test, you grade yourself about the test, and surprise, you pass the test. What a shock. There was a, there was a survey that was given in 1997. Who's going to heaven? The big, the big people on the list were Mother Teresa. She was number two. Uh, Billy Graham was number three. Uh, George W. Bush, I think, was in office. He was number four or whatever. Do you know who number one was? The person taking the test. <laughs> in other words, the average American felt that they had a better shot at getting to heaven than both Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. Because I'm a good person. And here's the problem with it. Here's why it will eventually sink our country if we keep going the way we're going. Because truth is not relative. And if everybody has all these different grade systems as to what passes, we can't all be right. Someone has to be right. You know what the Bible does? Here's what I love about the Bible. Here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible says nobody's right. The Bible says everybody is born with a big fat F on their forehead. You fail. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Love it because it just levels a playing field. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, all of our doing good, is what? Filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And, the, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. This is why the Bible is so simple at times. Because the Bible doesn't say, okay, that one's pretty good. That one's a A minus. He's a D, F, F, C. No, the Bible says Fs across the spectrum of human history. We know we all failures. We know we all, we all, every parent understands that we're born failures because once you have a child, you realize that you do not have to teach this child to disobey you. It comes standard. And, you mean, and what, it, what it means is we're all born sinful. 
And so we all were born failures, but the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that we are made righteous, not by what we did, but by what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He was punished for our sins. The Bible says that God took the sins of the world and placed it on his son, and then he took the righteousness of his son and he places it on everybody who puts their faith in Christ. So that by faith and faith alone, we are justified freely by his grace and we are acceptable to God and we pass the only test that matters in the history of the universe. We pass the righteousness test with almighty God and we're made right with him. By faith. By faith. Now, here's what it says in Romans chapter 3 to sum this up. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Another apart from doing good. Though, all, though the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no, what? No difference between any of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, all, and are justified by doing good? No. By being a good person? No. By grace as a what? A gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is so important that you get because what the, what the breastplate of righteousness does is it gives us Confidence. If you're filling in the blank, confidence. I can have confidence before God because through faith in Jesus Christ, I passed his test. Oh, how many of you, it's so hard for you to have control of your emotions. In fact, I would be so bold as to say one of the hardest things about life is just keeping control of our emotions. We'll have a good day and we'll have a horrible day. We'll have a good week and then we'll have a horrible week. Some of you, I feel bad for you. You'll have a good morning and you'll have a terrible afternoon. Depressed. Why? Because you keep measuring yourself by the tests that you create for yourself. Oh, that was good to the lady at Dunkin' Donuts this morning. I passed that test. I told her to keep the change. <laughs> and then you go to the office and you swear at your computer. It's an inanimate object and you're swearing at it. <laughs> you're like, I failed that test. And you go home and you freak out on your kids. You let your cell phone ring during service at church. <laughs> failed to mute your cell phone <laughs> and you should feel bad about yourself <laughs> right. I'm just kidding it's about it's about knowing that through simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ God accepts you ought to be accepted it's one of the it's one of the heart cries of humanity is it not even from high school, I want them to accept me. And then college, I want to get accepted. I, get the job. I want to be accepted. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Stop putting your value and your worth in what other people have to say about you. And start realizing that because of what Jesus did, you are accepted in the beloved. You're accepted by God. And it's finished in Jesus' name. Number three, the shoes from the gospel of peace. The shoes from the gospel of peace. Soldiers in the Roman army had the best shoes going at the time. They provided the soldier with two things, sure footing and long walking. What they would do is they would take their leather sandal soles and they would drive a spike. They would drive a spike, or mini spikes, into the sole. They were the first people with metal cleats. <laughs> and what that, what that shoe would do was it would enable the soldier to hold his ground. Now Paul says that the ground you have to hold is the gospel. The gospel of peace is what you have to fight for in your life. Let me make it as clear as I can. The gospel is the only thing you have to fight for in your life. Because life has a way of handing you many, many, many fights. Am I right? Every day you're going to be presented with several fights. Christian, you have to learn to pick your battles. What are you going to fight for? What are you going to hold? You have to ask this question. What hill am I willing to die on? Because when you go to work or you go to school and somebody comes at you with the age-old argument, creation versus evolution, and they want to needle you and get you all huffy and mad, you got to learn how to just forget about that fight. When they come at you, they say, are you one of those fundamentalist Christians, one of those homophobic jerks? Are you one of those intolerant people? you got to learn how to say nothing in that fight. Even this past week, it gave us a whole new field to fight in, the Zimmerman verdict. We're going to pick that fight, or we're going to just say, I don't know. But what I do know, what I do know is that I was lost and I'm found. I was blind and now I see. I was dead and now I'm alive in Jesus. That's the ground that I need to fight for so that I don't get all huffy. When, when Thanksgiving comes around and Uncle Joe is coming over and he is an atheist and he hates Christianity, he's one of those guys who reads Dawkins and Hitchens and all those people and he's got his artillery rating aimed at me. I don't have to freak out anymore because I know Jesus Christ has changed my life. I don't know what atheism is doing for him except making him an ugly old man. But I know that Jesus Christ has changed my life and I've never been the same since I found him. Sure footing. Sure footing. And the second thing, the second thing, long journeys. They, they put a lot of resources into the soldiers' footwear in the Roman army. Do you know why? Because the Roman army adopted from the Greeks, Alexander the Great, this method of warfare where you would just go conquer a people and move on. Go conquer a people, move on. They were constantly moving, constantly moving. That's all they did. And because of that mobility, 
because of their ability to walk long distances, they conquered the world. And I thought about it from our perspective as Christians. This is a long journey. I know the Bible says that our life is like a mist, our life is like dust, our life is like a breath. But in the context of these moments, if we were to be really honest with ourselves, we'd have to say it's a long journey, isn't it? Some of you were saved 40 years ago. You're still walking with Jesus. And if we were to ask you, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? You would say, by grace. I look at my life, and, and I know I'm only 36 years old, <laughs> but I was saved when I was a child in a dusty old little basement of a church with a woman named Judy Norville, my Sunday school teacher, led me to Jesus. I look back on my life, I say, man, it's been long. It's, it's been a fight. Battles, stress, anxiety, sins that I've wrestled with. And I look forward, I'm like, man, I got a long way to go. It's overwhelming sometimes. Like, man, this is a long time. Like some of you, you're doing really well right now following Jesus. But let me tell you something. It's, it's not about what you're doing now. It's about are you going to last? To the end, Jesus said, those who endure to the end shall be saved. Not those who relax to the end shall be saved. You got a long way to go, friend. You got a long way to go. You got to have perspective like that. What's going to help you make it in the long haul? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace. I have peace with God. And so that's why we insist that you put that video testimony up there for us when you get baptized. Because we got to hear your story. Do you know what your baptism does for us who have been saved for a long time? It's like spiritual caffeine. It's like, oh, thank God. God's still changing lives. Jesus is still doing cool things. Look at, look at a 16-year-old kid today who could be doing drugs and worshiping the celebrity culture of this world. He loves Jesus now and is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. It, it makes me able to walk a few more miles. And then, and then the other thing we do is we do, we do communion, and we're going to do that right now. We're going to do communion today. And what communion reminds us of is the simplicity of knowing what Jesus did for us the gospel of peace. Jesus went through hell on that cross so that we could have peace with God. And he told us, do this in remembrance of me. And then, then he said these words. He said, for as often as you take this bread 
drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes again. This is a meal that has been taken by people all over the world in every country for the last 2,000 years. It's the longest running meal in human history. And what is it telling us? It's telling us the work for your soon redemption has been finished at the cross. It's done. You're going to have to fight to keep your sanity about it, but, but it's done. And soon, soon, Jesus Christ is coming back again. And I want to be ready when he comes. I want to be ready when he comes. I want to be confident. And I want to always look forward to it. I was, I, I was having a conversation with a lady uh, a while back in church. I don't remember, years ago. And she said to me, I don't, I don't know what it is I don't feel. I do everything that I know that I should do before the Lord. And I love the Lord, but I don't feel comfortable. And I remember saying to her, you shouldn't. You're not home yet. You're not home until the Lord comes and brings you there. So we take this meal to remember what he did, where he's going, and it helps us keep walking. I want you to stand with me.